Okay, we have Julie here, so of course she knows it's dedication. So what would you like to dedicate this episode to? I am dedicating it to all my local female filmmaker cohorts, buddies, partners in crime who are yeah. fighting the good fight with me. <laughs> <laughs> Doing everything, everything, writing, everything, not just being a director, but women in film and doing everything. Yeah. Right. These particular filmmaker women, in my mind, they are writing, they're editing, they're directing. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, um, but that's what we are doing. We're, we're exercising a lot of control over what we're doing. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, we're back. We have Julie. How do you say it? Conan? Canaan. Canaan. Or Canaan. <laughs> to make it really which hard. You, which one do you prefer? Just, you could just say Canaan. Canaan. Yeah. I like it. It's a little bit Finnish, isn't it? You know, people are like, it's Dutch. It's Finnish. You know, it's like, I, I'm all that part, you know, so yes. <laughs> I like names because I, I have an exotic name, Polotichuk. So I always like when somebody has. You're Polish. It's not Polish. It's, it's not. It's Ukrainian. Oh. Anything with Chuck at the end comes from Ukraine. Oh, C E H U K. Predominantly, it's not a hundred and not absolute, but yeah, we believe. And anything with ski at the end is Polish. Polish, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, we've, we've been because it got butchered when our family came in mm-hmm. from from New York, so it was mm-hmm. a big long name, and I think they diced it up to nine letters, so it doesn't really mean anything anymore. But I think we believe it translated to somebody who came from Poland. Oh, so. We believe that's what it's the Yeah, I know. From. Everybody's like, me too. My name, I think, has umlaus, and uh, those are gone, and that's why it's weird. And yeah, I don't My know. wife's, she's from Finland. Her ancestor came from Finland, but her, they don't use the last name. Her maiden name was Sylvie because when they came here, they had a big, long name. And then the person's like, well, where'd you come from? We came from the Sylvie region. Well, that's your last name now. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not right. That's how yeah. precious, special the surnames are, yes. <laughs> My mom's maiden name should have been Rehnquist uh, for Swedish, but it's not. They use Bloom. It's just it's a big, long story there, but a lot of times names get all chopped up. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Julie's here. She's been very busy. It's very nice for you to come on. Thank you. You, you have been... M- a lot of movies coming out. You have one in Z Fest right now, coming in Z Fest, right? <laughs> yes. And then, yes. You, and that's a short film. And then mm-hmm. you have another one, that um, another uh, Master Servant. Yeah, that one's out doing its thing. Yeah, doing the festival thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. And at, then Jeremy Bandau and Peter, I forget Peter's last name, over at Metro State, they just created that film festival, Film First, First yes. Films. Yes. I heard yeah. It. And I just got selected for that. So one film that I've got that nobody's really seen other than classmates, it's going to be in that. Yeah. So, so relatively busy. Talk, we have to talk about all those movies, of course. Yeah. But I'd like to just get started before we could talk about all those movies, just because you've been predominantly film has been part of your life. And that was that always the case or is it something that you jumped into? You know, um, I come from a really small community in southern Minnesota, and so I did not. Um, I mean, going to the movies was like a really big deal, and yeah. I had those films that really impacted me. Yeah. But I um, also had this really narrow view of who's allowed to do film. I had no idea that you could be the director. Um, I mean, extremely naive. And so when I, I was obsessed with telling stories, but when I got to yeah. LA, I ended up in front of the camera. Just kind of like in some very weird, strange ways, I would be cast in these things. And all of a sudden I would be exposed to movie sets. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. So you got to see what the inside and outside and all the production. I was fascinated. Right. Yeah. Because I don't think people understand. And I've tried to demonstrate. There's a lot of a lot of wheels turning to get just a few seconds of film going. Well, yeah. now I think everybody understands. I mean, people must be listening to this going, how did she not know? But, yeah. you know, there just wasn't a lot of product out there. And there was just a really narrow place. You could watch it on network TV and then you could either go to the movie theater. And that's how you got your um, consumption. And um, 
Yeah, and still even being out there and starting to get in the movie industry. Yeah. Um, I had some natural talents that I actually got that elevated me quite quickly, but I had no education <laughs> to back it up. Like I wrote a, okay. a script and I um it got sold. You the the full feature. So full you you wrote feature. a script for a full feature. I did. It was like the second thing I'd ever written. And, and then and then how did it get that but you know, that was when McKnight, I don't know how McKnight functions now, but I knew about the McKnight and okay. um, I got involved. That's the, 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 the McKnight Foundation. The foundation, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. That's very well known here in Minnesota. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just couldn't, I fumbled the words for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like it's not popular all over, you know, the world, but yeah, Minnesotans. Yeah. So I, I don't even remember exactly what the impetus was to submit my project and myself to be a McKnight winner and I ended up back then they would pick finalists and it became a finalist and they were very hooked up with Hollywood and my script because of McKnight went around Hollywood all these uh, production companies were reading it and it got optioned nice yeah and it was and I think it's if you can find it it's called don't tell yeah and you, or can't, you can't find it it the the working title the title I had it was called raising the dead and that's what yeah. it was optioned under several times and then it got made and you know, it was really, it was bad. <laughs> it just kind of fell apart. I didn't even actually see it again. I was so crushed how bad it was. Um, and I'm sorry to everybody that was involved <laughs> for saying that to you all. But um, it was just really disheartening to have It's something. hard. Well, I think anytime you make something and then you, you, even if you sell it, it's hard to give it away. It's almost, even though you're selling it, then somebody else is doing it. This could be yeah. very well at the root of why I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> could, this could be the moment we've cracked it. Yeah. But I, I'm, when I did fine arts and you sell paintings, it's like it's gone. Yeah, but nobody's going to start adding to it. Right. <laughs> nobody's going to paint over it. Add you some chalk. Things are right. Yeah. yeah. My, that's my funny. The one of my funniest stories about Picasso is actually he would buy painting his own paintings back from people, so he would rework them. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny after five years he's like you know it's bothering me that it looks like that can i just buy it back for me i'm gonna change everything that's <laughs> and funny and he did it more than 20 times he would buy his own stuff back from people and rework <laughs> and you can you really can like film you can yeah. uh you could keep reworking re-editing <laughs> but you finally have to kind of uh fincher he always says uh work is not completed it's not finished it's abandoned it's because you, you just gotta, gotta up, go right I love that because I think Kurt Vonnegut's like it, it, you never end; you just find a place to stop. Yeah, yeah, it's that's so, good. That's his point of view: is nothing really ends. Is just a good place to stop. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm, I concur. <laughs> but also, you got to think about when because you, when you wrote, did you write knowing the ending, or did you work up to it? Um, are, so now, are we talking structure? Like yeah, how do it, my process like in that particular moment or that storyline? I was really on the journey with these characters, and this happens often with me. I don't exactly know how it's going to end. I know how I'd like it to end. Right. But a lot of times they reveal stuff to me. By the time we're, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, oh, well, this is the third act. <laughs> Not what I thought. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost got to the point, and I, I discovered, too, that somehow the characters are telling you what's going to happen it's yeah. almost like you're not in control. I would say that is it, my truth. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it gets kind of frightening because it's almost like, wait, no, uh, am I? Who's writing this thing? Right. <laughs> well, no, I'm happy. I'm happy to offload the work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, or just yeah. kind of that had a really tragic ending. So that one that got the made, full feature went right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was quite sad. Are um, you are you comfortable writing sad? Am I comfortable? Can what? you do writing sad movies? It's all about the characters. Okay. I'm on a journey. Some subject matter has intrigued me, and I'm writing. Well, and it's it's different. If it goes so right now, what have I been writing the most has been TV right now, and um, but previously it was a lot of screenplays and sad. I don't know. I'm I'm usually looking at I'm digging around in heavy subject matters. I so don't. So the write. crucially is the characters are going to tell you what the story is going to be. Right. Rather than you're going to say I want to I'm just going to write a depressing story. No, you're going to let the characters tell you what kind of things. Right. I'm I start out trying to investigate some kind of concept or theme that is intriguing sure. me and then and who's the per best character to take on this subject matter? Um, what are the obstacles with this, you know, internal or external obstacles I'm going to give to this character? 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you, when you do characters, do you think costume right away? Costumes? Yeah. Costumes or are not in your mind? anything I think about. Really? When I'm okay. writing. <laughs> when I'm making the film, I'm all about it because that's yeah, actually yeah. my um, background. I, I went to Los Angeles for um, college for the fashion. I'm like, where did I go to college? <laughs> fashion Institute of Design. <laughs> Were you question? Yeah, uh, no, yeah, that was the question for me. Yeah. Oh, that's the reason why I ask is because I know your background is from fashion and then mm -hmm. your writing. So I always mm -hmm. like what I would ask is, would you think costuming as you're writing? But it seems like you'd think about it afterwards. That yeah, it think. doesn't inform my writing at all. Okay. Um, nope. When you're doing uh, the writings, do you do outlines? I've done so many. There's like one way. God, there's this crazy book, Vicki King or something. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, write a script in 30 days. And you're, you're just, uh, I'm writing a script in 30 days. And you just go and you don't look back. And I've done that quite often. Um, where you just or I outline and it I outline I can do a lot of bullet points and yeah but that first draft I do try to force myself to do the outline but never rewrite do not rewrite in the first draft because it's got to be about exploration for me and then sure Gosh, processes are so weird. I have one friend who she really thinks it through, and by the time she sits down and puts it on the page, it's already it's done. It, it's baked. It's up there. Mine's like a lot of discovery. I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm gonna let them decide how it's gonna be, and sometimes it changes. When it had happened to my my book, who I thought was the lead, didn't become the lead anymore. And I have I, not had that happen. And then I. Well, my book was two different things happened at the same time. Mm. So you had an investigate the investigators and the bad guys and their stories running lean then figure out how I want to construct the ending was somebody's gonna have to not be as important as the other ones. So I thought the side character I'm gonna bring him up a little bit. It was something not intentional. I didn't think it was gonna be that way. I just thought it was gonna be a bunch of subplots to fill it in, but now the subplot's gonna be the focus point. Okay. And you know what? I think that's what Cormac McCarthy did for old, no man for old, con no country for old men. No country for old men. I think um, that's what Vito he did. Vito Mortensen. No, no country for old men. Wow. Oh, the Coen brothers. Yeah. Um, Josh Brolin. Yeah. So if you read the book, I think he spends more time on the subplot because the title of the book is No Country. He's talking about the sheriff being tired of doing his job and he just. He follows him rather than the. Uh, yeah. So the main. The main story is about the sheriff. Uh, the subplot is the bad guy. But instead, he focuses more on the subplot so people get confused. And that's Cormac always cuts up ways of how to write a story. So always, I always look at it that way, that even though it's a subplot, he spends more time on it than the main main story is. It's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I can't really speak to that, you know, because yeah. a lot of stuff, also um, filmmaking is, it's collaborative. So right. You yes. got the Cone brothers in there, right? So I'm wondering how much were they talking to him about story and what they want to see and what they want to focus on, and how much is he serving them, or did he arrive with the script? I mean, so it's like it's an interesting like how did it come to be the way it was? Yeah. Are you are you the kind of person that um, can write anywhere, or do you need a your space, your one spot like a, a like an office or? Can you I write? am really getting. I can write. My TV stuff probably really anywhere. I'm about. Okay. I'm actually right now. I'm. Uh, it's weird. Okay, so I am writing something right now. Okay. So I'm writing something, and um, what is my process right now that I can speak truthfully about is I'm outlining it. I'm trying to outline some character arcs. I am a uh. real stickler for structure. I'm, yeah. I'm really very much about when certain uh, events need to happen: first act, second act. Uh, you know, and so. I do try to get those in place at this point in my writing because I, you're just solving a lot of problems if those if those things are done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I do think I need to be in a. I have this thing, and it comes from I think Julia Cameron, uh, the artist way. Yes. And um, or gosh, I don't even know who has this technique, but I have to show up to write, and for one hour I can do nothing. And if the writing doesn't kick in, that's fine. But I have to give it an hour. 
And some days it's great. I sit down and I'm off. And some days it's like I'm sitting there for 45 minutes, but I'm not allowed to do anything else. I must yeah. just sit there. And maybe, at, yeah, 45 minutes into this hour, all of a sudden, then the floodgates. Open. I'm only chuckling because I've experienced this too, that it people think that, oh, you just can jump back into it. You sleep and then go back. And it's for me, I can't do that. You need to like to give it about an hour of just get my bearings and just settle and then get going. But if so, you keep doing that and you keep showing up for the page, you know, like yeah. uh, sequentially, you know, you're going to end up with a first draft before you know it. Because writing, I think, can be really burdensome for some people. Some people really love it, but some people are like, give me a glass of wine, <laughs> give me some medication, and they can, you know, yeah. and, uh, I can't do that. So I have to just get up really early and sit at the desk and write. I'm a, are you, are you like a day writer? We all, I always communicate this with other people because I I can't do it during the day. I do it at night, but you're more of a, you're more of a day person. Well, before okay, before I was not like a full time filmmaker. Yeah, it had to. There was this whole thing about giving it your best energy. Like, what do I love the most? I love my filmmaking. So, what am I going to give my best energy to? I'm going to yeah. give it to my filmmaking. So, before I go to my day job, I'm getting up <laughs> and I'm going to give two hours to my best, you know, of my best time and energy and focus to this project. I like that. And now, um, and now it's just like it's my job, so I can't. I'm not gonna wait till night. I got to do my day job. <laughs> For except it does get sloppy, you know, like anybody in town who's self-employed, <laughs> it gets really sloppy. You're like, wait a minute, I, uh... I'm sl- I'm writing, I'm editing till two a.m., three a.m. because it, it, you know, it catches you, and all of a sudden you're just in. Right. Yeah. It does it like almost? I experience that too when you're writing. All of a sudden it's like, what? It's five o'clock at night. What happened? What are you it's talking? intense. Yeah. 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 It kind of gets sucked into the world. Do you think about title first, or is that the, one of the first things you kind of... Sometimes it's just right there, and it's... Um, a little more obvious. Here. That's what I, I got really obsessed with um, Eugene O'Neill and his titles. <laughs> or Tennessee Williams, their poetry. And, oh, Tennessee's, yes, because... Or about how, you know, Moon for the Misbegotten. Yeah, the Glass Menagerie, or Menagerie, yeah. Well... Tennessee Williams, what is the most ultimate poetic title is, um, not Night of the Iguana, but A Streetcar Named Desire. Right, yeah. I mean, but even Night of the Iguana, I mean, just come on. You know, like, I think he had to do, like, title like that, yeah. I mean, they're just cat, beautiful. Cat I mean, hot. You know, like, everything now feels a little on point, <laughs> you know, like, like it's... Right, I do that, too. I'm guilty of that, it's too. It's exactly yeah. what it is. There's no poetry. And and that is, you know, it's, it's culturally, that's the way it is now, but I did... Um, the screenplay right now, the full-length feature that I'm working on and I'm working with people and that I shot part of it last summer yeah. is A Slip of the Knot. <laughs> and um, it's a psychological thriller. It's about a woman who doesn't know if she's going crazy or if her husband's gaslighting her. I like this. I love psychological. That's my favorite. I love I, le- I love psychological, who's playing who or yeah, or what's really going on. It was inspired by like older films like Nicole Kidman in The Others um, yeah. or Hitchcock. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Vertigo a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. You don't know what's happening. Things are not as they seem. Yeah. Um. So that's what I'm working on right now, and I was working on a poetic title for that. I don't know if a slip of the knot. You know. We'll I see. like that though. I do too. So I'm hoping it sticks when yeah. it goes into production, full production. It gives it a title. It gives it a sense of a, like a, it's elusive. Elusive. Right, and well, it, it, to me somehow mental stability and um not being stable (laughs) yeah 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 so um that's what you're working on let's talk about master servant for a little bit um this is this is a short story around that yeah so master servants what brought me out here um i started visiting more often and spending time in saint paul and summit avenue okay and I bought a super dense book on James J. Hill, this uh, biography. It's going to be dense, yeah. Oh, so I can't even think of his name. And I had to actually read that book for so long. It's like I lived <laughs> with that book and I can't think of the author's name. But uh, yeah, and then, um, well, so do you know I'm an, I was an editor for the NFL Network? No. Yeah, so I'm, so I, football season, I'm super busy. <laughs> and then. Um, so you do, you still do that. No, nope. I I quit okay, okay. to do master <laughs> Yeah, so I was it was it. Um, I'm gonna get me confused. Was it for NFL Network or for NFL Films? They're the same. They're one. Oh, now the they're same. the same. Okay. They've always been the owners, I believe. 
well, maybe they haven't always been the owners, but we um, we are linked. So I can be sitting in the edit bay in Culver City, California, and I can call up footage that's over in, um, God, was it New Jersey? I can't even remember anymore. I think that's where the home base was, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everything's a blur. It's been a long three years. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I had film because yeah. we're cutting film into stuff. So we want to use that. F- it's amazing footage. Yeah, archival footage. But so I think it was like, I started to understand, I think it was the 2015 season, that I was going to end up coming to tell some story about James J. Hill. There was something about Downton Abbey was playing. I was really interested in history. I still am. I'm a history person. And I just kept thinking, why are we always talking about American history in terms of war? What about social history? What about cultural history? Because, yeah. you know, we're always looking to the Brits. We're like so fascinated with their evolution socially. And I'm like, we, why aren't we telling our story? And then all of a sudden I see all these um, mansions preserved on Summit Avenue. There's 389 mansions um, that are preserved as they were 120 years ago. Yes. yes. It's wonderful to take a tour down there. Yeah. And, and you get the real sense of what was going on. And so I started to think I'm, I'm going to come back for the NFL season. I'm going to you know, I tell my bosses um, after the Super Bowl 2016, I think that was 50, 50th anniversary of. Okay. Yeah. So I I leave. I come here. I start hanging out at the Historical Society. James Hill has dumped all his papers at the Historical Society now. They've left the reference library. They're at the Historical Society. There's the Gale Library. You can call up all these old documents. You can all read right. everything. I'm reading novels. I'm interviewing people in town, historians who write for... Um, People who write for the, what is it, the Ramsey Historical? I can't remember that newsletter that comes out. There's just a lot of people in Minneapolis and St. Paul that are very interested in our history, and they've written and studied a lot. So yeah. I um, met with them because I, I wanted to tell the story really accurately. And then, so long story short, uh, I realized... I meet with actually a descendant of um, James J. Hill, and he he's even before you start writing it, you know, you're doing, you still doing all this. Well, I'm research. doing all this research. research. I'm, yeah. I'm, starting, I'm loading up. I'm I'm starting to understand what the story is. I mean, I'm researching a period of time from like 1850 to like 1917, and I'm like somewhere in here is my story. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I got it narrowed down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I ended up on 1893 for a million reasons. But anyways, I'm talking to one of the descendants, and he's like, "You're gonna have to just." make it up take license because when famous people turn over their papers to um i don't know if you call it well libraries and they're put in the archives and their collections are you know gone through they erase a lot of personal information so you cannot understand anything much more than just business transactions and it's right. really kind dry. Of visual. Yeah. yeah so i ended up um just gathering information of the time and taking personality traits and taking some letters that spoke to me and I guess, so you don't probably know this. So then I started to write this TV series and I called it Summit Avenue. And and then in the middle of all of this, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. time to go back. It's preseason. And so I go back to LA, I'm in the preseason and I'm working and I could care less. <laughs> I don't care about editing anymore. All I care about is making this TV series. TV. And I thought, okay, uh, Super Bowl 51, I'm going to leave after that, and I'm really going, I'm, I'm moving to Minnesota. I didn't even make it to Christmas. I was just like, I got to go. Jacked up, yeah. And so I went, I came back here at Christmas, and I started to understand. Also, I had put down writing for a long time. I would put it down for over 10 years. I decided that I'm an editor. Um, that's immature to keep pursuing those dreams. <laughs> that's not very Minnesotan of me. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, you get it. But I like that this story is this eventually, it's almost like how I sh- shared mine. It's just, I had to get it done. It's just in there. I have to get it out. I yeah. Can't, it's almost all this. And people are like, why are you going to make this big, long story? It's like, it's in here. I have to finish it. Right. It's just right. the one thing. I, world's going to stop, and then I'm going to get, I'll do this. Right. And I then did. I get back to my life. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's one of the reasons why I stopped officiating. Because you needed to do this side project. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that passion, that drive. <laughs> I, now I live there <laughs> permanently. Because <laughs> once you give in for me, once I've given in to all this passion for filmmaking, um, I mean, everything's been a surprise. I um, just even I'm 
so supported in this town. It's beyond belief. And just like taking that um, directing class, it was this understanding that I was super interested, but I hadn't really given myself permission to be a director yet. Also because I was like, uh, men direct. Men with um, Ivy League degrees direct. Men from the East Coast direct. I can't even tell you how much I had so many rules about who gets to do it and who doesn't. In your mind already. Yeah. Yeah, and so I kept saying, you're an editor, you're an editor. And so I wouldn't allow myself to direct. I didn't allow myself to write. And then I slowly started to make a few short films. Like there's like four short films I think I made in there in that time period over a decade. (laughs) And then, um, but once I came here and I started to just be Julie the writer, Julie the person making the TV series. And then Sundance came to town. Sundance came and gave a master workshop in um, short filmmaking. And I took, I went to it. It was um, sponsored by Film North. Yeah, And I was like, all of a sudden they start talking about the benefit of making a short film and how you can actually shoot, um, elevate your series by having a short film. And I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna make another short film. I was like, did not want to make another short film. It was like, because they're a lot of work, you know, there's not a back end. It's a lot of people who love you, giving you the money, um, people working at a reduced rate, you know. Yeah, it's all the the little tangible variables of not well, more fil- than just sitting down and making a movie. There's a lot of other stuff, too. Well, producing a movie. Yeah, it's a pr- it's a collaborative thing. And so it's just a huge elephant, you know, <laughs> to push over a hill. Right. But I knew that I heard that person say that for the like I was supposed to do it it felt right and pretty soon really quickly I had two short film scripts from all the material and I'd already written like two of the episodes of the tv series very quickly Ruth got on board um Steve Albert got on board and the whole town got excited it was really people were just so generous towards me yeah um I met with Andrew Hunt I uh picked his brain I just I reached out to all sorts of filmmakers when, when you talked to Andrew did you get a word in <laughs> yes all yes right. All right. I like to say to people I'd like to stop you there <laughs> no no he's sweet I mean oh, any filmmaker sweet. that's going to give yeah. me their time and expertise and you know a lot of the filmmakers in town are just sharing out of this um, you know, it's their a, passion it's one of the nicest things about the community is is nobody is Everybody's willing to help or give you little pointers, maybe point you in the direction, a little bit of assistance that, yeah, help everybody out. It's nice here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like I have a big pool of people here, like I knew who to ask or who was doing what. And there's um, certain people here in town that are doing short films and are hoping for indie films, and that's their drive. And then there's yeah. people in town that are doing commercials, and that's feeling, yeah. it's a, it feels like a separate world. And I did finally get to the right group of people. And um, just like a shout out to all the hair and makeup people there. Um, oh, my God, because I'm talking. I can't even think of anybody's name right now. <laughs> but um, Marie, she's going to kill me. I can't even think of her. La, La Breche, La Reche and uh, Petra and um, Lexi. All these women, um, I literally could. The second day of shooting, I had like, I don't know, remember, it was some, somewhere around 30 people that were main cast and background and people in tuxes and hairdos updos and um costumes and uh, amanda my costumer whose last name i can't remember um just gave me really great rates and really helped me because they really cared more about how great the project would come out yeah and then you got able to film master servant in the james m hill mansion Yes, that is owned by, at some point, the archdiocese, which was using it as a convent, turned it over to the state. And the state, it's a moneymaker for the state, so you can't just have it. And it's also historical, on the historical register, so you can't just go marching through it. You have to go through escorted. So, like, to shoot there for two days... It cost us a lot, even though they were quite generous and kind and gave us a good deal. It still was like, (laughs) oh, my God, you're killing me. But it, it's, it didn't need, you can't bring anything in there either. We couldn't really art direct. And I was like, oh, I can't really art direct. So I guess I'm going to have a party scene with a beautiful man, um, men and women dressed, you know. So that means you couldn't, art, you couldn't like rearrange. You just had to take the, how, how I the house bring in a settee. as it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I couldn't bring in a huge flower arrangement. Um, we brought in up. chairs for the string quartet, and that was really the most we brought in <laughs> so that they could sit. Um, 
and that's the downside but you know like through all those challenges in filmmaking that's what kind of brings out the best because the women and the men dressed in the tuxes and the ball gowns it brought out the real glamour and why that hallway was crafted the way it was right well all the stills that you have on instagram and all that looks wonderful amazing yeah well and it's a showpiece right like james hill built that house to show people how wealthy and powerful he was and to for you to stand in that hallway is he wants to overwhelm you and awe you and impress you and i'm like and we're shooting here <laughs> and thank you and we're happy to put that on films to share that with everybody <laughs> yeah all right we're gonna take a little break um and then we're back with a little more with julia i'll talk about some of the movie projects she has out now as well hi everyone i'm ashley and i'm justine and, and we, we make, make up the cutaways, cutaways podcast we're watching the good the bad and the essentials of the romantic comedy genre so far, we've fallen in love with Cary Grant, met up with our terrible friend, pal Joey, and had the desire to run our fingers through Patrick Dempsey's hair. Join our slumber party for your ears every other week, brought to you in stereo from our blanket fort in Hollywood, California. You can find and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Our digital blanket fort can be found at thecutaways.com. If you are the social butterfly types, you can also find us on twitter facebook and instagram as at cutaways podcast bye Right, we're back with Julie. Um, and before we we come to the break, but I want to emphasize that, and then you brought up on break too that you're going to do a sequel to Master Servant. Yeah, yeah, I want to bring it up because I'm I've started my fundraising, and um, yes. Do you have a website for the fundraising? No, no, no. Okay. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do that. Um, okay. Just because of all my experience, I'm not sure I'm going to do that yet. But uh, I just wanted to say, give a shout out to the Minnesota State Arts Board because they awarded me the Artist Initiative Grant, and that's what's allowing me to do a sequel. Wonderful. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's where I'm at. I okay. just want to tell people I'm probably going to be coming knocking at your door and look out. <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> All my benefactors we'll, we'll, i'm we'll coming put, back we'll put the your production you have a website we'll put that on there so people can find you right i've got two wanna, websites yeah master and then we'll, servant movie and ravenstream productions yeah yeah and then we'll put your email on there too if some people want to reach out to you and contact you that way as well yes yeah great uh, do you always when you made master servant did you always have a sequel in mind or is that something after working on it that you wanted to continue with the story Okay, so it's a TV series, right? Yeah. It's inspired by a TV series called Summit Avenue. And Summit Avenue, I've outlined at least three seasons and so written five episodes. If I'm understanding right, the Summit series, Master Servant's a slice in it? Right. I took a little bit from episode one and two and okay. made a short film. And it gives you a taste and it sets a tone, and it starts to identify some of the lead characters. Now it's okay. Now I, I understand. It's now it's in the umbrella of this t- the TV show. I get it. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, w- w- I'm everything's always such a long story. Here's the backstory. <laughs> well, here's the backstory for me. That's the best thing about podcasts. We're now, yeah, that's why we can do it. We do well, I, I wrote two scripts right away and started just giving them around to people, and they were like, um, "I think this." second one that I'm going to do is much more of a short film type script and it's going to serve the needs of a short film much better than the first uh, script did but the first script was such a huge it was just a great way to present this huge very large cast very large story because ultimately Summit Avenue is it's like 40 characters deep you know with the haves and the have nots it's about um, well it's just about the first original oligarchs, you know, in the... Here in St. Paul, right. Right. Um, James J. Hill, you know, um, land grants, how much of the their first initial wealth comes from land grants. I like that if you travel down Summit Avenue, there's a statue of Nina Clifford, and she's the most famous woman because she ran the most, like, one of the most famous brothels. Brothels, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> uh, Yeah, well, and that's and her sad. Stat- is her statue still there? 
but it's a, a demonstration of how there's some people that are not adjusted because of repression, but there's some people that had a lot of clout, and she is one of them. So even though she ran a brothel, she had a lot of political clout around St. Paul. Well, I bet she did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you got a lot of people's well, stories. She knew a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, she knew start. everybody's secrets. So. Yeah, that's right. They're going to listen. <laughs> What's Nina got to say? <laughs> there's, I, I have a story. There's, I think in the, the book St. Mud, it was talked about that there's this very famous story of the, all these politicians want to visit her brothel. And she's like, these gangsters, no, you can't come in. She told the mayor of St. Paul, you can't come in. No. And she's later. She's much later. Isn't much she? later than your thing. Yeah, because yeah, she's yeah. Um, part of the whole prohibition. prohibition. Yeah. Yes. yes. More glory for us. Okay. <laughs> no, so I'm. Uh, so, okay. So, the so sequel. Th- actually, this is what we're talking about right now is very much about the sequel. Yeah, okay. Because I'm now examining an issue in 1893 for the women. In the turn of the century, women, the social elite women, had less rights, is that, if that's how I can say it, than the working class women. So social elite women could not walk around town by themselves. They could not go to a restaurant, have dinner unescorted. Uh, they could not have, they could, if they inherited their father's wealth, they yeah. turned it over to their husband. They could not have their own wealth. They couldn't make a contract. Their children were not theirs. The children were their husbands legally. So, so you're, if you were born a socialite in privilege, you're considered, as a woman, you're considered more as property well, and it's like it was just some archaic system, in it, and then it just started to be turned on its head at that point because, you know, suffrage starts to happen, even though women don't get the right to vote till 1922. Suffrage yeah. started to happen. The whole movement starts right. to happen much earlier. And so what happens to the women in St. Paul and Minneapolis is they see that um, they start demanding their rights. And the men are kind of uh, shaken up, and they're like, uh, we just want to make you happy. And the minute you identify a right that you need, uh, we are trying to give it to you, but uh, nothing seems to be making you happy. And there's this uh, big dilemma starts to happen up on Summit Avenue where the women decide they're not going to get married. Their fathers are wealthy enough to keep them in their homes. And if they're not going to have a choice about having an occupation or how they want to live their life, and all they're allowed to do is... uh, live in domestic servitude, as they called it, which would be to be someone's wife and have their children and take care of their house, they didn't want it. If they wanted to pursue their interests of art and fashion and travel, they were like, we're just going to stay at our father's house. And uh, the social elite men and upper class was worried that it would be the extinction of their class. And so that I like that as a protest of... A collective protest. No, we're not. We're not going to get married. Right. So I yeah. start to scratch a little bit about that. I'm not, you know, because I get what I get. Twelve minutes, fourteen minutes to tell a story in these short film formats. <laughs> Cram all that in twelve yeah, minutes. So I'm just giving yeah. you a little taste of the whole thing. That's fascinating. That it even, is right? even though even though you were born in privilege, that you're kind of living in a little bit of a prison. You are. You're oppressed. And you're really regarded almost like a bargaining chip to maintain the family. Almost in yeah. a crude way, you are. It's very. There weren't a lot of options. It was it could be very desperate for some women, obviously, as literature we've read, right? Right, yeah. So many desperate female heroines and all this literature. So how what are we looking for and you're making the sequel? What are we looking at? Are we going to start um, production soon? or? Okay, so yeah, what's happening now? And then I, we have to talk about The Walker. <laughs> oh, right, that's right. Okay, because we talked about that during break, yeah. Yeah, okay, so I just literally started the grant gets released in march and um things are starting to settle down a bit with master servant i have actually made um i'm it is exposed my tv series to the right people good and so that's it's starting to really work for me and it's doing the whole festival thing and so now yes now everything's calming down and now i get to start thinking about the next one (laughs) and i need to find it i'm actually starting to do the whole location thing because now I've used the Hill House up. I can't use that up. And um, I need two locations. So I've started doing that. <laughs> do you like, I mean, as a director, it's most, and especially when you do an independent short films, I will probably have to do location shoots with people as they're doing it. You don't have to, I mean, you have to be going along with, you know, hire people to do it you have to probably do it yourself kind of thing oh right do i have a location scout and he's like uh, ready to negotiate a contract with a homeowner for me (laughs) 
<laughs> no. no. But if anybody right. feels like doing that, reach out to me. If anybody wants to be part of a dream project, a passion <laughs> yeah. project. Yeah. And I'm sometimes I'm the best rep for my um, project, you know, because I'm super sincere and ex- ecstatic about their homes and ecstatic about history. And, and people up on Summit Avenue are pretty passionate about their history. Well, that's good. I mean, I would hopefully be able to keep it in Summit on Summit Avenue. Yeah, the location. Yeah, I'm actually thinking of um, something over here also in Minneapolis, but I really don't want to. Yeah, you want to keep it here. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, with the series, do you have any other, do you still have it all lined up or are you still working? Do you still writing for it? No, at a certain point, it's diminishing returns. Like um, five episodes is enough. And the people, the powers that be that are trying to set it up right now, um, they've got a show Bible or a deck, as people like to call it. Um, I've outlined each episode for the first year. Okay. So it's a that's lot a of good. information that's, that's for somebody to go, I like it or I don't. <laughs> that's healthy, right? Yeah. yeah. And now it's just looking for the right uh, showrunner. Are you, um, are you, if you get this TV series going, do you want to be part of it or you you want to sell it like you did the movie, the original yeah, feature? Yeah, no, I would never. <laughs> I mean, of course, they want me on it. I yeah. mean, at this, it's it's unusual that they would separate me from the project because I've... I'm the one that created it. I have all this knowledge. I spent a year in the historical society. It's like, yeah, yeah. You got to find somebody that can fit all those. You know, it's like I think I'm it. <laughs> yes. They're happy to probably keep me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what's, what was? I mean, you always you touched on a little bit, but the fascination of the era. But it was always been there, or is this it's just something kind of like like urge that came? Well, on? I didn't exactly understand it. It is. It was just through the read. I was. I'm. It's the history, and it's um, the industrial revolution, probably, because I can't. I'm not into like super rustic. Like I'm not going to yeah. write a prairie series, or I'm not going to write even around the American Revolution. I'm not going to. That's not my era. But when you start to get into art yeah. and wealth and decadence, and you start getting into those certain elements are in my wheelhouse like I am very much into fine art I'm very much into costuming um, architecture so that era just spoke to me and then when I started to read I didn't realize we had such a social elite living on Summit Avenue and I didn't realize that the northern Europeans that came to work and were seeking out a new life were so put upon I didn't understand there was such a class thing going on here and Where they, they literally went to the highest hill to live so they could look down on St. Paul. <laughs> well, and to live above the pollution. Yes, that's the true. The riffraff. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And yeah. if you were wealthy, you could get up that hill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really kept them isolated up on the hill, and they had this grand view of the river. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what was fascinating about that time, too, is um, Eric Larson wrote a book, Devil in the White in a white city is that what it was called and it was all about the world's fair america was ready to show the world that we could compete that we were their equals yeah. and the last world fair had been in paris and then here i don't know how many cities bid on it but chicago got it in 1893 was the world's fair and i had also realized that james j hill completed his transcontinental railroad in 1893 or 94 january 94 no 93 and i was like this is just an amazing moment so he finishes his transcontinental railroad is that from because the train took from st paul to seattle puget sound puget sound okay exactly and which that was fascinating because um that's the reason why the university of gopher football team always played washington right in turn of centuries because the train went right to straight to there right because i was wondering why would they play washington doesn't make any sense now they know that (laughs) now they know the train connected them that's the reason why would they always would play them for a couple years right and you know james j hill builds the transcontinental railroad i think it's the fifth one you know so transcontinental railroads are around 20 years already by the time he completes his um but he is also at heart an engineer it is um touted to be and I, I believe it was true that it was like the fastest train with the lowest grade curves he that's what he sold yeah that's what i've heard he went yeah. through the rockies yeah so saint paul if you go to the reference library there's a huge silver cup that the city presents to james j hill they honor him for three days 
and I'm reading the newspaper. James J. Hill actually owns the Daily Globe, so he writes many beautiful things about himself. I mean, they just outline those three days uh, in great detail. But I keep noticing that all the columns next to the story about the three-day celebration are about there's a run on the bank. Um, people were lined up in the streets. And I was like, and I guess I'm not even going to say anymore because this is my story to tell. But I just noticed that that was a great moment where um, the haves and the haves nots, it all finally came to a head. Wonderful. Yeah. It's a wonderful clash. I mean, I think everybody, Minneapolis obviously gets all the accolades, but it's a fascinating story. If you just concentrate just on St. Paul, all the stuff that went on here. Oh, yeah. And yeah, we're definitely, our roots, you know, Lowry and... Um, Washburn and Crosby, all, I don't know if it was Crosby, but they were all, they all traveled in the same circles. It yes. wasn't, yeah. Yeah. There's a very small amount of social elite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As when you, when you're filming as a director, mm-hmm. um, are you comfortable doing, are you one of those people that do multiple takes or do you set up shots or? You know, at this level of filmmaking, we're filling a recipe. And I don't get enough time with, like, this this new project, the next one, we're going to do an yeah. extra day because I want more time to work with the actors. But I I storyboard, I heavily storyboard. And I yeah, mean, we're talking about an off uh, during pr- um, break that you like to draw, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm super into, David Fincher is a big influence of mine, and he is a great... Um, he does, does he do his own storyboards, too? No, but you know the way he sets up his shots and the way he um, not choreographs blocks blocks a scene. Yeah, that's a huge challenge. You know, not to just do a big wide and then do you know cover cover right. <laughs> you know, to really the do the master shot and to do this really intricate blocking and that's really what I aimed to do. If you watch the opening scene of uh, Master Servant, you'll just be like David Fincher, David Fincher. <laughs> and I All can't right. challenge accepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't do that on the fly. I can't just walk on the set. It's a, I've I think about the shots. I think about how I want to cover a scene, how I want to cover the room. So it's a lot of preparation before okay. we get on the set. But still, we're still like I've got a shot list. It needs to be. I need to get every shot on that list so that I can get that movie together. And so it doesn't leave enough time to play. Which you, yeah, it sounds like you kind of wish you had a little more area to play with a little bit yeah I had some really interesting stuff going on in a fight scene between a man and a woman on my set and I was like they're just taking it emotionally to some different places and I really wish we could just hang out here and explore that <laughs> like but with, we can't you know? <laughs> sorry yeah. we gotta get out of here and would you like to do like like more rehearsing you know, sometimes there's just a magic that happens on the set, and a rehearsal just never reaches to me uh, what happens on the set when they're in costume. Yeah. They're surrounded by, you know, all that stuff is feeding that actor, and the camera's feeding the actor. And you're for me, it's, I, I don't mind rehearsing, and it, but just hasn't been my experience that I can, like, then get something in rehearsal and duplicate it on the set. Yeah. It's almost the magic of discovery or something that's happening on the set that's really exciting. It sounds like you you want to be you want to surpri- you, you want to be surprised a little bit too of what can happen with the rest of the crew. So yeah, there was this slight seduction going on, and I just thought, well, that's amazing. <laughs> I was like, I never thought of that when I wrote that, or I ever saw them in the scene, you know, during the auditioning and. <laughs> Yeah, I, and I'm like, maybe we should be rehearsing more, but it just doesn't seem possible. Did you ever consider doing it in black and white, Master Servant, or the Summit series? You know, it's always about what, how would that black and white feed that film? And so for me, obviously, um, the costuming that came out of the Chan House and the woodwork in the Hill House yeah. stained glass wouldn't have been served by black and white. So they, it would, it would, it would, you want to really make those things come out a little bit better. I've got yeah. something to show you. I want to wow you, right? And in right, color. Right, yes, yes. It's like, yes. let me blow your mind with how beautiful this is. <laughs> <laughs> so it never would it never really consider, would you ever want to do a black and white movie? What did somebody say the other day? The best way to make a DSLR look really great is to go black and white and you look like you're a really important film. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, that is right. That's so, and I'm like, so if ever I'm stuck with just a DSLR, I'm going black and white. The, the comical, and all the reason I bring it up, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing is because when you're independent comic book 
artist or a comic book independent oh, comic right. book person, you have to do black and white. You you don't have they don't have the money expenses to do a color. You can do it, but it's so expensive that you are probably going to ninety percent of the time lose money making a color book. A lot of people do black and white and eventually go back and then put it in color afterwards. Oh, interesting. So it's predominantly, if you're an independent comic book artist as well, you're going to do it in black and white. It's gotten to the point now where independent filmmakers have the option of it'll be much more effort to make it in black and white. And it's a little more, you have a little more baggage if you make it in black and white where you don't see that as much as you did in the 70s and the 80s of independent movies being in black and white. So I think it's a little well, bit. Well, I'm thinking reversed. about 70s and 80s movies in black and white. Well, Indie I'm films. thinking like Rumblefish, um, oh. Raging Bull. Um, those are the ones that are popping out of my head. Uh, last great picture show, Peter Bogdanovich. Oh yeah, yeah. Civil Shepherd. Yeah. Jeffrey Bridges. I think they serve a purpose, an artistic yeah. purpose. If it served. If it was, if that's what it needed, if that's what it wanted, I would do it. I have no hesitation. Yeah. You know, in 4K, you're—I don't want to get all technical, but the level of grays and details that well, you can get in the low lights, right? Well, that is predominantly you. Desperate your your film editor, your film that's right. really that where you coming from, start from. Right, I feel yeah. very in control. <laughs> Once we get to post, it's like, oh, thank God, <laughs> my wheelhouse. Where I've met so many directors, like after post, like I don't want. <laughs> yeah, right. They're like, what's happening? <laughs> no. Yeah, no. I love. Um, I have a beautiful colorist in L.A., and he just got. I swear to God, I don't know. Was anybody else sitting in the audience with me at the Twin Cities Film Festival? There's a Steadicam shot from the front door all the way up the main staircase and down. Yeah. And I swear people gasped. It was really beautiful. Ben Anke did such a great job. Ben Anke's a great DP. Um, I did a great job <laughs> deciding to do a Steadicam shot. Cause well, we, we've had Ben on the show multiple oh, times. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. I got to listen to Ben's pod. Yeah. yeah. How did Ben come on board with it? I think it was Ruth, our okay. mutual friend Ruth. Um, he, I don't know. You know, I had actually seen him on Andrew's set. I went on Andrew's set level. And yeah. I didn't actually realize I had seen Ben. Uh, I didn't realize I was talking. You know, that was Ben Anki I was watching until later. But It's, he's, it's funny because he's so quiet. Mm -hmm. He's he, a great collaborator, though. No, he's, he's a great collaborator, but he's just, he's not very talkative person. He's <laughs> kind Shake him and slap him. Ben, right. what do you think? No. Right, yeah. Did I make him mad? What happened? Right, yeah. I he was yeah. down for all the preparation I did. I really appreciated that. Like he met with me and we really went over how this is gonna happen. You know, I I do a lot. I do shot designer. I've got diagrams because it, it had to be fascinating because you work with NFL films, so you constantly know all about film, and then you work with Ben, and you guys probably speak the same language before you ever met. I think when you're an editor, what does it do? You d get used to looking at images, constantly looking at images, constantly looking how you start and stop a scene, or what's where you enter a frame or where you right. exit a frame. So you're yes, you get very <laughs> familiar with footage and what makes a beautiful shot, and that is my stronger area. You know, if I have a weaker area, it's my storytelling. That's got to be, and that's probably why Master Servant has that look of it. And you know that was going to come out of it. Right. Yeah. And also because I'm in post, right? Like, I can't live if it's not mixed. <laughs> I can't live if it's not color corrected um, because that doesn't seem right. But I can yeah. see if I was in post, it wouldn't maybe even occur to me to take it to that level. Do, when you're doing editing, oh, what about sound? Do you, are you comfortable with sound? Are you thinking about sound? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um. For me to make my projects work, e anybody's project I do, I'm going to lay in a temp track. I'm going to lay in a lot of sound effects because I'm trying to convince myself if the story's working and I try to keep giving it everything it needs so that I can be like, yeah, I'm with you. This is working, right? Yes. So I'm laying out quite a bit, <laughs> bit of sound by the time it's done. Like we lock cut a lot of, s I mean, the arenas that I work in though. Yeah all that sound gets lifted up and it goes to a mixer and then he's going to throw out. I mean, I've even had it where they just throw out all your sound effects and everything and they're just, they're putting it in. They're doing Put sound your, design. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Nice try. Right. Here's yeah. your reference. <laughs> right. they're, but they're, you know, yeah. but 
if you were at a lower level, like you didn't want to take your film to that degree, you know, you could get a mix out of what I'm, and I think maybe, maybe a lot of editors are doing this. They're putting in a lot of sound effects to sell it to themselves and help to show the client what, like if the, if somebody hangs up a phone or smacks a wall or something like I'm going to put that effect in there. I need it. Of course. Right. Because you're like, if he doesn't, if he'd miss it, then everybody's like, well, well, what happened? Right. I'm going to throw a let over the top of it because I cannot watch black. I cannot watch raw footage. I don't know how other, I don't think a lot of editors like to cut with raw footage. So we just have this let we can throw over and we can get a better idea of what, I don't know. I just can't look at something that unattractive milky for that long. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, that comes from your training because you, You've seen so much that you, you instantaneously know what could be fixed about it or something like that. Right. And yeah. and I'm assuming all other I, – I believe that's those are the requirements right now of being a filmmaker. Um, and most of the people I talk around town like or that I, I've gotten to know around town, they're pretty fluent. Like they know – cameras they i mean you just got to know your the more you know right the more control you have over the image yeah yes and the story yeah yeah Yeah. i mean i'm just trying to learn i'm just i'm a student (laughs) (laughs) well there have been so many advances nowadays with cameras isn't there there's so many choices and options yes constantly i mean I i actually just met with andrew and i probably already said that but i a lot of it was starting to go down to like camera choices like do you have to pick the red do you have to pick the Ari or the uh, is it the Alexa I, again me and names um, the 35 millimeter format cameras like to convince people um, that this is cinema and is a grand picture but we actually shot with uh, Ben's black mini black magic mini really yeah so and yeah I don't know these are all conversations that are ongoing and I just keep collecting information because I'm not the expert in this area the DPs are <laughs> and I just keep listening to them yeah so when you watch another movie as being somebody as like a director I'm an editor been in front of the camera when you watch a movie what is a f- really what really comes out you first is how it edited first or the sound or when you watch somebody else's work what really pops out at you first I'm just looking at usually I'm trying to learn from what they are strong at Okay. Um, like a marriage story. Like what elevates marriage story from a, a TV story, TV show, right? Yeah. Um, you know, two episodes. <laughs> what I really lo- I think because Noah I think really does well with dialogue and characters, how they really talk. Yeah. I think it's something also too to have stars. That's when you true. have two stars, um, right there, you're like, this is a different deal. This is not throwaway. This is very important to have a star puts a a huge sense of importance on a project and then to have those performances um but you know like scarlett johansson doesn't just show up on your tv unless she's on (laughs) snl you know what i mean and adam driver you got to buy an hbo subscription to see him on girls right and then then you want to see him in star wars or whatever you know it's like so he's this really special commodity that's not accessible and so here he is in noah his uh film you're like okay right there and then so marriage story worked for me because they presented such unusual characters right they were so empathic and he's having that total meltdown at her and saying such cruel horrible things but her love for him she can give him the space to do that and not turn on him and then he's crying yeah i think every one of those characters are very convincing that they're actually real Every one of them. I liked, I liked all of them. I know, them. and Laura Dern, you're like, oh my gosh, being in L.A. as long as I was, you know, there are those people that just get caught up in all of it. And <laughs> and then they're almost amusing. You're just like, they're kind of like, I'm assured by people like her. <laughs> 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 like, you know yeah. what drives her, and she calls it like she sees it. You're like, okay, I'll take that. I do. I, I, that's what I really liked about that is how dialogue is very hard for me to write, and anybody's writing dialogue it's very hard to write i loved how he did dialogue in the marriage story and he's done some other movies too like the merowitz story with dustin hoffman um and noah always talks about the dynamics of family structure and how that can be torn apart and put back together and how things are not just sealed it always be ripped up re-sewn and all that stuff he always really investigates that yeah and i i have to say i was telling you earlier i don't watch a lot of 
stuff that I have to really study because I do kind of go around with this creative bubble around me that I don't want to start absorbing other people's work. I don't want to be thinking about their work. I don't want their work <laughs> to infiltrate this creative zone. Right, yeah. So I really, to entertain myself, watch the stupidest stuff you can imagine that is just so not going to make any imprint on me um, and force me to work in any way. It's hard to, especially when you're in the, like something like post-production or in production, or go watch this other person's movie and you don't want to do that because you're all completely emotionally and physically and mentally invested into getting your product done and yeah and, and it's it's kind of weird because i always ask filmmakers have you seen this movie and it's a lot of the answers are no because they're busy doing their own stuff and they have hard time watching other stuff yeah i know i mean and just for my case i have have you seen this comic book? No, I have not. I am working on my own. It's hard. I would, when I get the chance, yes, I would love to read other people's materials, but I have a deadline to meet, and I have to get my own stuff done, and I can't just sit down and read another person's three hundred page book right now. No, right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Well, Julie, thanks for coming on my show. Thank you so much. Uh, oh. Yeah. I want to say... Go, you can say it. Yeah, go right okay. ahead. If we have missed something, go right yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give a little shout out to the Film Fatales, who are um, a national group of women filmmakers who have all made the feature films. And locally, we have a pretty good-sized chapter. I think we're at a healthy point right now. We definitely want more, but we're getting a good start of female fil filmmakers. Yeah, and these the difference between them and myself is they've made a full-length feature, and I've made a short. <laughs> But they are actually <laughs> doing a showcase at the Walker. It's called uh, Women with Vision because they used to have a series at the Walker called uh, Women with Vision. Women with Vision, okay. And it was to celebrate internationally uh, women filmmakers. And it was when there was just – and they stopped it after I think I was told, after Catherine Bigelow won the Oscar. They're like, well, job well done. We don't have this problem anymore of shortage of um, women. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so they've resurrected it this year, and they reached out to me, and I thought they were actually just going to be showing a clip from my film, but uh, when I read the th the press release that came out, it was like, these are the women that are expected to make their feature, and I was like, well, there's some clear messaging from there, the, <laughs> the universe. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be making a feature. So yeah. that's, um, it, the timing is excellent, because I am making a feature, and that's also happening. So I want to uh, just remind our audience, if they're not familiar with the Minneapolis Twin City area, Walker Art Center is in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely the modern art museum. And then, once again, if you want to tell us, what is it again? So Walker Cinema, which yes. is because there's a theater there. Yep. They're having an evening, March 12th, and March it's 12th. called Women with Vision, Then and Now. And the 12th, they've invited 12 female filmmakers who and are up and coming to show a clip from their projects and to join a Q&A. I love it. Are you going to stay for the Q&A? Yes. I, <laughs> I, I am here to uh, thank people actually for being interested in all my work, which I'm so grateful to the Twin Cities area because I'm getting so much support. Um, but also, too, I'm, you know, I'm raising money, so I've got to just kind of stay out it. there. And yeah. It's the hardest thing, I think, for artists is to do that networking thing. Yeah. Right, especially if you're like, um, I want to be behind the camera. Uh, and then like, uh, yeah, I'm the front man. And you're like, it's kind of confusing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, Julie, for coming Thank on. You. And definitely, we'd love to have you come back again. And Thank you. I appreciate it. Talk more about movies. It's and, been fun. Yeah. Um, as you know, it's not over till the guest says it's over. It's over. <laughs> That's over. I love you. It's over.